and thank you for joining us for Market Conversations. I'm Natalie Pearson from the City of Melbourne. The Council is currently leading the $250 million renewal of the iconic Queen Victoria Market, the largest infrastructure investment in the City of Melbourne's history. Through the five-year renewal program, we want to retain and restore the Queen Victoria Market's heritage while also improving facilities for traders, customers and our visitors. Everything we do is about ensuring the market is viable for future generations. To coincide with the World Union of Wholesale Markets Congress, held in Melbourne, Australia in October 2017, we've recorded a short series of podcasts. As part of the conference, several international market experts visited our city. We took the opportunity to talk to them about their own experiences in market renewal. In this podcast, we are talking to John Turnbull, Director of Asset Management and Development at the Pike Place Market in Seattle, Washington. Pike Place first opened in 1907 and is one of the oldest continuously operated public farmers markets in the United States. It's now Seattle's most popular tourist destination. John shares with us his experience of working in the Pike Place Market and how the market has undergone several transformations in its long history. Thanks for joining us, John. So how are you enjoying Melbourne so far? I'm really enjoying it. I've only been here one evening so far, but I'm looking forward. We'll be here for a week or two. So Good. Yes, we've really turned on the weather. It's a beautiful sunny day out here today. Yes, I enjoy it. I've been walking around the market all morning already. It's been great. And do you drink coffee? You know that we're well, Of Melbourne course I drink coffee. coffee. I'm oh, from good. Seattle. Good. Of course. Yes. <laughs> great. Well, I hope you've had a great coffee. So let's get into our chat today. When we talk to people about the Queen Victoria market, they often link it back to a particular time or a memory. You've been working with the Pike Place market for a really long time time. Can you tell us right back to when you first went into the market? What was your first experience? I moved to Seattle in late 1970s, and I walked into the market by accident, just walking through town. And I was just struck by how different it felt. It was sort of like a bit of seedy Europe at the time. It had a lot of bars and taverns, but some very interesting open open shops selling meat and produce and a very active street presence. And it was very fascinating and just a wonderful place to be around. Do you think that there's something in particular that surprises people about the Pike Place market, something that they don't expect when they walk in? We do a little bit of everything at the market. And it's not just one market. Uh, Most people are familiar with the farmer's market and the crafts market and the seafood and the meat. Most people also don't know that we have a very active residential community. A lot of low-income housing is located above the shops and below the restaurants. And we have a very extensive social network of people that uh, help service that community, a health clinic, a preschool, a senior center, a food bank that we have as permanent tenants. And then we also have sort of an operating system that is almost socialistic in its application. There's public ownership of the land, but private ownership of all the businesses. And it's While it seems very chaotic and spontaneous, it's probably one of the most regulated places in the United States, and you never would guess. It is quite an interesting mix. How did that come about, that you would have that mix of community and market? See here in Melbourne, there was a proposal to to sort of grossly modify or rebuild uh, the Queen Vic market in the late 60s. There was something like that very similar in Seattle, to, to raise it down, put in a hotel, parking, giant car park, a couple condominium towers. And it uh, created a huge amount of citizen opposition to it. And the citizens that opposed it said, that's not what we want here. We want to keep the market. 
And they went more than a protest to city council. They created an initiative that established a historic district commission in Seattle that would prevent the city from tearing the market down and, in fact, would redirect the funds from urban renewal activities to preservation of the market. And they came up with three or four reasons of what preservation meant. And it wasn't about the buildings. It was about the businesses, uh, the social economics of a neighborhood with low-income people as residents and places that sold things to people of all economic means and was welcome to everyone. And it's a place where new businesses could start out and family businesses could continue to thrive. And those were the goals that were set up. And it was a sort of very sort of interesting set of objectives that was unusual at the time, early 70s, to do that. But it was adopted and sort of incorporated and welcomed by everyone in the city at the time. And we spent many years trying to make those goals real. And they are real every day in every decision that we make. Mm, absolutely. So you had the earlier renewal program um, back in the 70s. Yes. Can you talk me through what's happened recently? Okay. Well, most recently, we've finished the last piece of the puzzle. Uh, we had a phased redevelopment plan that went over 40 years. Uh, it started in the late 1970s. And the last piece of it had to deal with the most difficult to develop part of the property. It's a steep bluff. There's a train tunnel very shallow right below it. And it is a perfect location to build parking, but an extremely expensive place to do that. Uh, this last few years, the city announced some plans to redevelop the waterfront. And this location just west of the market became a perfect bridge for the top two or three terraces that would connect to a cascade of terraces down to the waterfront. And so we finally were able to get some financing from the city to help pay for the superstructure and we've put in parking, and we've put in this large uh, pavilion. It's about an acre in size, which is pretty large for downtown Seattle. Uh, unobstructed views of the waterfront, connected directly to the market, and we'll connect with the waterfront in another park. We also have some interesting shops that we've put in. And since it's the market, we always put in low-income housing. So we added 40 units of senior housing. So do you feel like the goals that you set out to achieve through this process, do you feel like you've achieved them? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we have. We've done, we've done a very wonderful job of preserving a community and sort of a social ecology in Seattle. It, the actual components of the market are probably fairly different than they were back in the 70s. And when we were rebuilding the market in the late 70s and early 80s, we were trying to find a goal and a guide. And we went back to sort of the way the market was in the 1920s. And we were fortunate that there had been some good documentation by the people who managed it then about what a specialty business was and how to write some leases and how to get people engaged in working with the management. And then we had other lessons that we just had to learn from scratch about how a low-income community works and then some that we had to create from scratch, which was how do you finance a redevelopment and still keep it affordable for new businesses. So you mentioned the 1920s. Obviously, there's a lot of heritage in the Pike Place market. Did you have any heritage issues that you had to work through or conservation issues? Well, I started off working with what is the heritage issues here. I was working with our historic commission. And I, I don't know if they were uh, major issues, but they were definitely understood as major obstacles to deal with. <laughs> uh, we had a number of buildings that needed to be kept, and they had to be kept for functions that are uh, rather utility-intensive and people-intensive and modernized and seismically upgraded all at the same time. And we had to do that in a way that didn't change their exterior appearance. Mm. And those 
are not the easiest things to do, and they're often debatable about which ones are more important and help, and we work through those. Um, sometimes quite expensively, and sometimes we came up with some very simple solutions. What are some other hurdles that you had to deal with through that modernization program? Several of the hurdles. Let's, let's think about those. One of those is building effective community discussions. Um, we had to create a system where people could voice their opinions, could advocate for certain points of view, and we could create forums where those could be discussed, debated, and conclusions reached and decisions agreed to, and figure out how to do that. That took a few years of learning. It <laughs> uh, also took some time to figure out how to change the economic management from what had been sort of a decayed and dilapidated complex of buildings into a um, – into, into sort of the, the modern world of how to produce enough revenue to operate things and encourage conservation and um, maximize the efficiency of uses of property so you didn't just have areas in the middle of the floor that were full of pallets and old boxes but could actually be used for retail space. And what did you do with the pallets and the storage boxes? Uh, well, <laughs> we don't have much, many choices because still throughout all the years, we still do not have a loading dock in the market, not, not one for 200 businesses. Um, we do have a very active street <laughs> that's used as a public concourse for many things, including loading and delivery. And we did create one garbage chute in the late 70s. So we threw all the garbage down a chute. And when it doesn't get stuck, it goes into a compactor. And when we renovated the market again uh, the last 10 years ago, we made the chute a little bit bigger. <laughs> so this is now a sustainable market? Pike? It's as sustainable as we can accommodate within the space we have. Um, we have to do a lot of it by initial use and metering and controlling how, how much uh, electricity is used and sort of implementing as many sort of smart utility systems as we can up up front. It's very hard to deal with quantities of waste. We take 50 tons of garbage out a week, uh, another 20 tons of recycled goods, and as much compost as we can put into the few containers we have. Sounds like quite a big challenge. So what other hurdles did you overcome? One of the hurdles is that we also are managing something that's called a mixed-use property. And our mixes of use is probably as intensive as anything. In six stories, we will have two or three stories of low-income housing, a restaurant, another floor or two of residential uses, and then an another set of shops and wholesale houses. Everything in these buildings are is in old wood buildings and everything leaks on the tenants below. Uh, elevators are shared among apartments and commercial shops and traders. Uh, security issues go rampant between who can get into the elevator, who gets off at what floor. And then we have to manage how everyone interacts. It's kind of good because everyone gets to become a neighbor with everyone else. Absolutely. But it's also like having a family dinner and no one gets to leave the table. After a while, some people get upset. <laughs> the sibling rivalry. and <laughs> Exactly. It's a bit like that personal connection within the market. And markets are so surprising. They build these relationships and people have such strong connections. When you are going through a project like Renewal, how do you maintain that connection and make sure that doesn't fall away? 
Well, what happened in Seattle, and I think will be happening here as well, is understanding that that is the most important thing to remember at the beginning, is understanding how people interrelate with each other. It's not preserving the buildings. It's preserving the space for people to interact from a from a trader to talk directly with a customer, with a shopper to meet their friends, to have a space to interact, and the personal connections that are made possible spontaneously through as many different opportunities as possible is what happens at a marketplace. It is all based on being human, about interacting with each other. It's something that can't be replicated on the web by any stretch and is very difficult to replicate anywhere else except in a place as dense and as active as a market. That's right. And and people really love that about the market. What else about markets is it that you think people enjoy? And what what is about markets that makes them so special? The aggregation of enough independent businesses that nothing seems programmed and that there is something unusual or something special or something personal in everything that you do. It's a place where a smile means something. It's not someone's bottom line. It's the the quality of the interactions that you have is based on a, a real genuine caring of of the, the people involved in the transaction and in meeting each other. And were you conscious of that during the modernization or the recent modernization that you wanted to preserve that connection? Was there anything that you set out to do that would preserve that connection? Well, they're very important. And we learned it the first time around at our major renovation in the 70s. And we did again in this last round, which is you never close it down. You make sure that the market is always operating, that the people who have shopped there are welcome to come back, participate if they can, if the merchants are actively involved. And in this last renovation, I said, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be hellish, but it's going to be fun. And that's actually the posters that we put up around the market. How was uh, that received? It was quite fun. It was we had we had some humor to it. And we said, it's, it's miserable and it's marvelous, but it's still open. Isn't it great? Come on down. And, you know, when we put the hoardings up, we put windows in them so everyone can see what's going on. And what other action did you take to activate the market site? Well, to keep it open, we we did things like I'm seeing here. I mean, we built containers and moved shops and, and traders into different containers on the street. We had uh, had to plan this ahead several years and encouraged a couple people who wanted to retire to move out. So we had a little bit of extra space. And then we did a shuffle of tenants from building by building over a four or five year period. And we had empty spaces that we would move tenants into while we were rebuilding their place. And then when their place was done, we would move them back and move another group of tenants into that space and trying to keep everything active and and interesting and actually make it more interesting every day to come down to the market even while it was torn apart. Do you feel like you achieved new customers into the market during that time? Well, it was kind of interesting because because we started our renovation at the end of 2008, early 2009, and we finished it in 2012. And in most of the country, the United States, and I don't know how it was in Australia, there was something called a Great Recession during that time. Our business sales volume was higher in those four years than it ever had been. Wow. And it went up every year. Some of that was the construction workers who were there shopping. Right. Uh, but the other part of it was that we kept it going, and it was – a place where people would come back to shop. They didn't have the money to go off and do something unusual or interesting or very expensive. They had the, the, but they did have the time to come downtown and to go to the market and sort of re-engage with something that doesn't cost a lot to get a lot of return. So actually, we did extremely well. 
It was amazing. Great. That's definitely a, a, a benefit that you probably didn't foresee. Well, it depends. I, some of us were planning on that all along. Right. I, I inherited the job of, of doing that from someone who didn't like to meet with people in the public and didn't like to break bad news. I'm quite different than that. I sort of relish the idea of saying, here's some challenges. Let's figure out how to do it. I think in a, in a project like this where there are challenges and it, it is change, uh, it's definitely a good skill to be able to talk to people and, and reassure mm-hmm. them along the way. And you have to take advantage of opportunities. We have one of our icons in the market is a large bronze pig called Rachel, which is a piggy bank. And the money that Rachel collects, which is about $12,000 a year, goes to social services in the market. And during our construction, while we had different barricades up and we're working on different parts of the buildings, um, a taxi came through, lost its brakes, and knocked down Rachel. Rachel was all broken in pieces. Well, that was free publicity like you can't imagine. We milked that for months. And Rachel was bandaged up and taken away in a hospital van and went to the foundry for repairs. And then when she returned from recovery, we took her around town to show her off to everyone. And people got to sign their name on Rachel and every, wish her well and good good wishes, and then she got put back in place, and that was all part of the, you know, dealing with the impacts of construction, and we made it a great fun party. And why a pig? Tell me the significance of that. Well, the, the idea of the pig, I think, first came up from uh, the people who started the Market Foundation, and they were seeking some way of soliciting public donations. Generally, they said, "Well, you know, we can." do campaigns, we can do mail campaigns, we can do special events, but why don't we just put a big piggy bank out there too? Of course, so. <laughs> the piggy bank, of course, yes, a large pig, yes. So most of our, our time was, okay, we can do a big piggy bank, and then we had to spend several months figuring out where to put it that it wouldn't get in the way of the carts and the pallets and the things moving around by the fish market. And then we also had to figure out, now, what kind of slot can you put in a piggy bank that won't get filled up with Coca-Cola or um milkshakes and things like that and and how do you secure it and pull the money out and once we figured out those things we had a pretty good icon markets are really popular with a lot of different people young old visitors and locals what do you think it is that makes it so relatable to that different audience it's because there's no admission it's a wide open door anyone can walk in anyone can feel comfortable being in the public space in the social space there is a blend of public and private areas that mixes up. There is no hard boundary between this is my spot, this is the public street. Everything has to mix up. And things change by time of day. They are affected by the season. There's nothing that's hermetic about a market. It is completely open and responsive to all the senses and all the stimuli of of nature and society and the economy and just the normal senses that people have. But that's much more than than the normal five senses. There's time and spirit that's involved as well. So how do you maintain the authenticity of a market? One of the themes I I like to mention a lot is that there's always a tension in managing these markets. And doing it successfully, you are always trying to keep a balance between keeping things authentic and then keeping them relevant. It's always how do you keep something that's authentic, that relates so much to this historical pattern without it becoming locked in to sort of a museum piece so it's economically irrelevant. We've done a very good job of keeping out anything that is obviously tourist-oriented, anything that is just uh, created to sell to someone who wants to walk by and take pictures. I mean, we're trying to create a place that actually has substance to it, not just a backdrop for photographs. 
The fish markets, they throw fish because it gets them a crowd, but they also sell a lot of fish. Is the market a changing place? Do you find that it, it does change from season to season or year to year? Oh, it, it, yeah, very much. We still have a very strong uh, local farmer base, and we have two very active seasons. We have a tourist season, which is almost the bane of our existence sometimes during the summer because it is literally too crowded to shop. But we have figured out how to keep businesses relevant and still maintaining profitability during that time without selling out to tourism. So coming back to the Queen Victoria market, you're aware that we are going through our own renewal program. What advice do you have for those who are leading the renewal project? The most important thing is to be out there upfront telling people what your ideas are and that you have not finished working out all the details. And that it's inevitable that many people will be affected and it's important to go out there and find out what those impacts are going to be. Now, most of those will be fears based on people's incomplete knowledge, and you need to figure out what that is and figure out if what they have to say is something worth paying attention to and how to uh, respond to that. Uh, the other is making sure that everyone's involved and kept in informed all the way through of what you're doing. So there's inevitable concerns and fears about change. But the most important thing is that you can talk about it and resolve those things somewhat objectively, but always empathetically uh, to understand that, that you're affecting other people's lives and sometimes generations of relationships. And that's very important. And you need to give people that kind of respect. It's not just coming in, we're going to rebuild this place and when we're done, you'll be happy. It's we're going to rebuild this place so it'll be better for you at the end. Let's figure out how to make that happen. And following on from that, what advice would you have for the customers and also the traders? This is always a good time to say, well, if this is going to be change, is there something that I would like to change myself? Or is there something, is this the opportunity to make that difference or to, to go in a different direction? And what would I need to make that happen and make that possible? Uh, for customers, it is really to just be loyal and to stay there and to make sure that the traders still have business because that's extremely important for them to, to stay alive and to keep their businesses going. We Everyone has the same objective. They want the businesses. They want the feel of the place to remain. They want these long-term family connections to stay there and remain. And they want to have that sort of spontaneity there. So people should expect the fact that they are respected as members of the community where this – activities happening, and they should be part of it as well. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you coming in to talk to us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. And enjoy the rest of your stay in Melbourne. It looks like it won't be difficult to do that. If you would like more information about the Queen Victoria Market Precinct Renewal Program, you can visit our website at www.melbourne.vic.gov.au forward slash Queen Victoria Market. I'm Natalie Pearson. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.